0: Hello and welcome to Betting People. I'm very pleased to be joined by a guest I've been trying to get on for ages this week. And it's somebody that you might know because Lewis Tomlinson, who joins us now, um, works for Timeform, has worked for At The Races in the past and also was a contestant on Tipstar. Thanks for joining us, Lewis. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Will. Yeah, glad to be here, mate. Excellent. Um, So... Let's actually just go back to Titsdale and sort of find out how you got into racing. Um, how did you end up um, doing so well in that competition? And um, when did the interest in racing start?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been quite a, a long-term thing for me, mate, to be fair. Even, even I guess, probably 10-year-old was the first year when I started really getting into it, 2009. Uh, so I was seeing see the star season, want a want a bad one to, to really kick my interest off. But I'm not, I'm not from a racing family, mate. My mum and dad are art racing people, uh, but it would just be sitting watching watching Channel 4 racing, it was back then on, on a Saturday, and just really taking it in. And, and you, you know, the, the, more, the more you watch it, the more you get to know the, the names and you, the more you get to know the storylines. And, uh, yeah, I was dead into racing, you say, probably, probably by the end of primary school. I, I, I knew I wanted to work in the sport in some, some some degree. And I guess doing doing the media stuff was probably a bit a bit of a an easier route to go down. Not really being from a, a racing centre, so yeah, I, I I ended up getting a job for Timeform at sixteen. That was just that was just a part time job selling selling race cards, you know. But it took me to took me to York for the Ebor meeting. Got to see a Capri win the St. Ledger, and you know put cartmel in the summer when we got the big fun fair. So that was. were really good for a first first part-time job a bit of an introduction into the sport and then uh yeah it kind of spiraled from there i'd you know even when i were i were at uni i were doing sports sports journalism kind of a goal to to get a full-time job in racing once that once i'd finished and i was lucky enough you know people were good enough to help me out on route you know uh Kevin Blake and Emmett Kennedy, they were great with me, uh, putting me on the final film podcast when, when I was just 20. And that was literally just because of the tweet I put out that Kevin saw. Uh, so I owe, I owe Kevin a lot and Emmett, uh You know, that, that, that really started, kick-started things for me. I started getting a couple of offers of, of paid work. And then I was like, right, I can, I can really, if I knuckle down, I can really have a good go of this. Uh, and yeah, I, I managed to get onto the, the BHA grad scheme. Uh, which was during the pandemic unfortunately uh, in 2020 so it was a COVID year so it was all online but that, that again were, were really useful for me uh, and I'd recommend anyone if, if they're around my age to, to give that a go across you come across people from all sorts of uh, areas of the industry because you know I'm kind of obviously a bit more like media based but you know getting to meet for people who meet people who are who are wanting to go down like breeding routes or working for trainers you know, it kind of broadens, broadens the sort of contacts you'll get, especially at a young age in the industry. It was really, really worthwhile, even though we were only in Newmarket for a day. Uh, And then, yeah, like you said, I'm a tip star. That that kind of was just a little bit of a last minute decision because I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the, back then I was the most uh, confident on camera or it was, you know, I was happy enough being, being behind a microphone and in front of a camera, but it, it was it was a pretty last minute decision. I, I really liked the horse's of head off. It was snow leopardess, in fact. Uh and I thought, oh, if, if she wins and I don't enter, I'll be kicking myself. <laughs> uh luckily she she went and won. Uh got got through to the final. Obviously, I didn't win it. Uh, I got beat, but uh, Ross Miller won it. The uh, I, I was in it, and he, you know, he's he's a fine judge, isn't he? So no, no shame in not uh, being beaten. Oh bad
0: company to be keeping.
1: No, it's not, no, it's not, and uh I was beaten by Sky Pirate as well in, in my race in the final as well, which is, which just makes it all the more funnier because what a, I mean, Sky Pirate, in But <laughs> uh, if there's one horse to be beaten by, uh, but yeah, no, and that's, that's kind of how, how that came into me uh, starting to work professionally in racing, I guess, rather than it just being, being a side hobby.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, quite the journey. Um, just on that note, would there be any bits of advice that you'd give to people who might be looking to get into racing themselves? So what ways are there to navigate the early parts of getting into the industry as best you can? Because you've been for it in lots of different ways. Yeah, keep at it. That, that, that'd be the one for me. Uh, you know, a, a
1: lot of race people in racing are, are good people. Like, you know, if if... You want, uh, And they want to help people up the ladder. You know, I've I've, I've always tended to find that I'm, I think I'm only where I am. Mm. now i of other people taking a chance and, and giving me a platform and giving me a bit of help. And, you know, I think I've found, you know, people send me stuff. I always, always read it, always try and give a bit of feedback. And I think it's it's really important, especially because, I guess there might be a little bit of an illusion of racing media being Maybe a little bit of a close shop because you know there are a lot of the really good people in it, but people who are you know I guess ex jockeys or related to to trainers or et cetera, You know, and that that's not a bad thing because they can give they can give really good insight and you know they are where they are because they know what they're doing. But I guess for people you know who maybe come from a little bit of a a, a background that's less ingrained into racing. Keep at it, you know, if make your own content, you know, put it out there. People, you know, and people will watch it if it's good. And even if it's not good, you know, there's, there's ways you can have advice and uh, learn and keep growing. And that that be the one thing, keep at it, you know, when when uh, Kevin and Emmett invited me onto the final furlong pod that morning I was I was literally uh, applying for courses to be a personal trainer. Cause I thought, right, there's no chance I'm gonna I'm gonna have anything coming out of this, really. I thought. You know, kind of being where I am in the world, I thought it might be a little bit of a close shop. I might be better off going and doing something that'll give me a, a steadier, you know, more regular income where there'd be more work. I put a tweet out. It was actually, uh, I think, crunching the numbers about the new mayor's chase when that was first introduced. Yeah. Got a bit of traction. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it literally starts from there. Uh, so, so keep it, you know, there's a lot of good people and there's a load of good Good schemes and things to get people into racing. You know, I like you said the grand scheme, uh, the racing media academy, which I think there's been one intake of.
0: Mm.
1: You know, loads of loads of courses. You know, there, there, there are so many ways now, and I, I think you know, I think we're all a bit. Everyone in racing loves talking about racing to people who also love racing. You know, it, it doesn't matter who they are. So if, if you ever want to reach out to anyone, I'd, I I like to think in my experience it's been the case that people will be as helpful as they can
0: uh running stuff um you worked at at the races um what and time timeform what are you doing for timeform uh, currently
1: uh yeah i'm i i'm currently a, a horse race analyst at timeform uh that that's that's great fun i've been there since since november uh at the minute it's it's steady it's uh you know there's a lot to take in because it is a such an an in-depth and you know i say there's probably no organization in the world that is better at doing what Timeform do than Timeform, you know. It's, I guess it's a little bit like coming through like the Ajax Academy, isn't it? If, if in, in football terms, or, or at La Masia or at Barcelona, you know, almost every, you know, so many top analysts have, have been at Timeform or are still at Timeform. Uh, so yeah, do, doing that's great fun, you know. Working through uh, reviewing the races, reading reports of other really good analysts, and trying to. Trying to pick up what they're picking up on, and then also obviously trying to find a few winners, which always, always is good fun.
0: <laughs> Indeed, and the constant challenge. Them um, are, are there any f- sort of themes or any tips that you've actually picked up in your few months? Are, are there things now that you do a bit differently that, that you think, ah, oh, that's that's interesting, or how did I not notice that? Uh,
1: I've, I, I think I think the main thing. I guess, especially when it when it comes to a putting putting horses up point of view, is to back yourself. Is to if 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 you have if you have an opinion, uh, even if it may be slightly against the grain, if, if you can if you can justify it well enough to yourself, uh, back yourself. You know, I, I I think I think that's something that that's important and that's been well uh, well taught to me. Is that don't 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 let yourself be swayed.
0: Hmm. And um, just on that, now that you work obviously for the organisation when it comes to sort of, you know, sectional timing, et cetera, um, was timing something that you found as a tool when you were sort of getting into racing? Was it something that from like the first day you'd had an interest in like putting horses up or tipping? um, It was a central part of what you do, you know. Have you always been into times and using them um, when you're punting?
1: Not so much. When I, was, when I was first getting into it but in the last year or so and it was really a thing when I started working for ATR uh, there was a lot, a lot of Simon Rowland's content uh, reading sort of that and that was kind of the first first time And I started to pay serious attention to to sectional timings with my own tips or my own column seeing you know because look I, I know that some some people still kind of have a little bit of a not not arrogance, maybe a bit of a disdain towards towards sectional timings. You know, with the old uh, idea that there's more to racing than just watching the clock, which I, I agree. But they, they do, you know, when, when used used correctly, they can tell you a hell of a lot more about what's happened in a race than just yeah. the visuals. Uh, so yeah, I've I've definitely become maybe not quite a full-on sectional a sectional nerd yet, but no, it's been. It's been really, really interesting to see how and when the best places to apply them are, when uh, when to use them, and when the most useful. Because they are really useful when done the right way. And you know, even got even going back to like I remember last year, like when Bayed won at Leicester, he put up a ridiculous number, yeah. sectional wise. You know, like, completely absurd. Uh, Emily Upjohn on her debut uh, at Sandown. It might have been the second start actually. Uh, but when, when she won first time up this season, like that was an absurd number as well, you know. And uh, even though these things, you know, obviously look good in the visuals, when the clock backs it up is when it really tells you that it's a it's a properly properly top performance. I and then mean, we we'll have a little Big better this Saturday as well. He's a he's another one who, uh, who that applies to. But yeah, no, I've, I I think I've I've very much grown to respect sectionals much more. I guess and use using more myself in the last year or two, definitely, and especially more solid time form when it's, you know, an integral part of what we do.
0: Um, and do you find that there's adequate information when it comes to timings with most of the race meetings that you're covering, or does it vary from course to course? Uh,
1: it, it's a tricky one, That I mean, official times are... Are a problem aren't they, really? Uh, you know the, the accuracy of them and, and getting getting accurate ones. We we take our own times, uh, our own sectionals uh, at time for uh, using using a video software that you can slow really down uh, when you pass the post. So hopefully our our figures are about as accurate as he can be. Uh, but yeah, I'd I'd I'd, I'd, I'd say look, it that that's a bit reliant on camera angles, but I think the wider problems, are, you know. Like, I'm not sure whether this this is still the case, but they were were they not fully available in Ireland, uh, official times, etc. Uh, fairly recently, so look it's it's a it's it's one that I, I think I think if if you want to put the effort in to do so, you, you can generally manage your most courses.
0: Just to end part one, um, now you've been with time for was now an analyst and you obviously been in tips done, you know, it's fair to presume you've been punting a little while. Um, what are the three lessons you'd say that you've learned um, in what's been a career that's gone rocket sized in a relatively short space of time that you think um, other people should know about? You know, are there any, what have you learned about your betting um, since you've been, well, doing it semi-professionally or, or at least semi-seriously?
1: Uh, I guess I can't want to be disciplined. You know, you're never as good as you, as you think you are on your good days and you're never as bad as you, as you make yourself look on your bad days. You know, uh, don't, don't let the bad days affect you. I, I, I was bad for that when, when I was younger, when I was 18, 19. You know, I'd, I, I, don't think, I wouldn't put my bets on kind of at the start of the day. And if I'm back to who lost in the first, I might bottle back in a winner in the next and that would do my head in more than losing the money. Uh, so, the, so the disciplines come, come kind of now, now knowing not to, uh, not to overreact on your bad days. And by the same token, when you're doing all right, you know, you're not a genius. You don't have it all worked out. You, mm. know, you know, you're probably going to have a stinker at some point in the next month. So it's, it's, it's really important, you know, keeping your discipline, keeping your head, keeping, keeping your stakes the same, really. Uh, and I, I, I guess, like I said earlier, backing yourself, you know, knowing, knowing when, when you think the, the majority are wrong and when you're right not to really be swayed by, by other people's talk, you know, that's, that's, that's the way you're winning this game is when, is when you're right and everyone else is wrong. Uh, it, it might take might take a few goes but <laughs> yeah. that's that 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 for me is, is is key for a for a young person and especially uh I guess I guess the third one I'd say as well and this this might, other people might kind of disagree with that but the idea that everything kind of has to be a, a massive price to be going on you know? I don't think so I, f- I think some of the best value bets you know I've I've had all year have been shortish sub two to one. Uh you know, but if if, if you make them close to even money or, or above, you know, I I I think that that's they're, they're still really, really decent bets and you know, obviously be all over all of smashing in like a 25s winner when we can. But you know, I, I wouldn't uh I wouldn't ever be call myself one of the punters who, you know, won't well, well, I won't, I won't touch anything that's sub, sub a certain price you know, if if, if, if I give it a bigger chance than the bookies do, I think
0: it's worth, worth a play. A very solid way to end part one of this interview. Thank you very much, Lewis Tomlinson, and thank you for watching. Hello, and welcome to part two of Bessing People with Lewis Tomlinson. I'm going to get really into handicapping and more on punting in this part. And I want to start by asking you, Lewis, um, how do you go about assessing... Uh, typical race
1: oh I, I guess it depends on on the on the type of race the trip, the field etc right? etc et i guess i guess maybe from saying a handicap i guess my my first port of call would be to to try and work out which horses i reckon are the best handicapped. and then kind of work back and try and find out well are there potential reasons in this race why they may may underperform, why they may not be able to run to their mark, or why they may not be able to find that expected improvement? Uh, I, I, I guess I'm 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 quite a numbers the numbers man. I don't I don't keep my own my own personal ratings, but you know I say I'm a time form man. We have our ratings, we have you know, and you kind of have your own. I think everyone in racing kind of has their own figures in the in the head of what sort of ability horses are running to, or you you rate them as which ones are overrated, which ones, you know, might have a bit more to come. And I think that that's kind of my starting point. But then obviously on the flat, uh, you know, when look you you're looking at the Stewards' Cup when it's, you know, a week or two ago when it was all, all the hold up horses on the, on the near side coming to the fore, you know, and, and that, that was pretty, pretty predictable if you were to look at the, uh, the draw and where all the pace was. You could have, you could, you know, you could have gone, gone pretty close along them lines, and and come to a similar conclusion of what actually happened in the race, even even if the horses might not have been outstanding uh, on on their form claims. So it's always looking looking for things like that, and also looking for things that other people other people consider a factor that you don't. You know, I'll you know, look, I've. I've got this very, very badly wrong, but all all through a uh, all through the winter I was I was banging the drum that Bob Owling's jumping was not as bad as everyone said it was. And it's well, he's he's, he's, he's no sort of race the last twice, has he? But I you know I took that opinion and I thought that that w- would be where the value might have been that that people would, people were putting more uh more credence into a fact that I didn't really think think mattered that much. Uh I'd have been mulled anyway. You know, if even if you jump like a stand you've got you've got nowhere near. But you know that that to me is almost like a core principle is is like I said, trusting yourself. And uh, if if you can't find a reason why the horse you think is the best at the weights can get beat, and it's a fair price, probably a bet. Um,
0: just on that sort of area of you know having an opinion and going uh from the markets you know would you have your own tissues you know when you were looking at bob Ollinger going for whatever targets um did you have a price for him in your mind that he should be and are you just sometimes betting uh, against the market on that or do you have sort of different factors or you know is it sometimes time based or is it sometimes just no? I don't think it's as bad a jump as everybody else's. Ergo, he will be overpriced and I'm happy to take you know whatever up to like three to one or something.
1: Uh, everything has its price, you know. I think, I think, uh, even even if I thought horse was you know as close to a stone cold certainty in this game, there'd be, there'd be a price where it would become unbackable, uh, and that that applies to. To every horse in every race, you know. I think, I think some horses, like you say, you consider a better at eight, maybe not, maybe not at six as eleven to two. Uh, so, yeah, like I say, I, I think you're probably doing your head of, of when you know in your head when you think a horse is, is becoming too short. Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm. I'm you know, I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, Generally blind to blind to price, even though I, I think it's a you know obviously it's a major major factor. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not going to uh, play if I think if I think uh, it, it, a horse is on the short side. If I do even if I do think it's the likely swing. Um
0: Now, obviously, everybody has their different ways of analysing races or so their most important factors. Um, uh, presuming that time or or time figures would be like right up there for you, what other areas do you pretty much always go for when you uh, when you're looking at a race? You know, uh, will, will you always be looking at what the grounds like? What um, on the flats draw? The um, you know, course form, etc. And where does breeding come into this as well? Because plenty of people will have you know dosage profiles um, for horses. For example, those little big bear, whatever, we look at his dosage profile deciding for themselves if he can go to a mile or he should stay sprinting.
1: Yeah, like you said, I think I think pedigree, especially on the flat and with, with younger horses, you know, it's a massive factor, in it? You know, it's I, I I tend to be more keen on putting kind of like handicaps with slightly more exposed horses. Uh but I, I do I love the pedigree side of it. Maybe not, maybe not quite from a punting point of view, but from, as like I said, not growing up around racing, the sort of like the the bit that's a little bit behind the curtain, like like the whole pedigree and breeding aspect of the industry absolutely fascinates me. Uh, you know, I wanna I wanna keep learning more about that. Things like confirmation and stuff like that, I, I'm I'm obsessed with it at the minute because they they're the things that you can't learn unless you're Unless you're exposed to it and and put the time in to learn it, but no. back, back to the pointing with it. Uh, I I think I'm a visual man. I think I think I tend to work back from visual. So if I, if a horse catches, the eye or or looks a bit unlucky, or wins well enough, and then kind of the numbers numbers stack up with it, you know that that's a sort of profile I like. Also, I'm very much a like say a, a handicapping man, uh, so if, if I feel like a horse has been has been let off fairly lightly, uh, I guess an example of that I can think of would be, would be uh, I had a good bet on the conditional when he won the Ultima, because mm. he was he was dropped uh, when he uh, I think he placed in the Classic Chase at Warwick the the, the start before, and just didn't stay. Traveled like a dream, and the handicapper dropped him a couple of pounds of it. Pounds for that, so I thought that that's that's really really lenient. Uh, no chance, you know. He, he ran close enough to his rating the time before. We'll have another go, and, and luckily, you know, he went to one at Cheltenham. Uh, on the same topic, if a horse only goes up, you know, five, and I'd make it eight, it, it's still well enough. So I've, I think I'm very much a very much a visual man, and then I kind of use using numbers and figures. Etc. to uh, to back it up, but obviously, like you said, things like horse form ground is, is all all hugely important. But I, I, I guess I would say is I'm I'm very much a I give it a go before I write it off mm. sort of character. You know, the idea that a horse who hasn't run on 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 soft ground or heavy ground that wouldn't be enough to put me off backing them on their first run. If they've run badly on it, fair enough, but I would, I'd, I'd always be happy enough to give it a go until I see that it can't, I'll assume that it, it might be able to.
0: Um, do you have any sorts of, I mean, I've heard about the races you prefer, you know, handicappers with, with more exposed horses in them. Um, are there any courses in particular that you're a fan of or not a fan of? Um, you know, particularly on the flats, course makeup is so, so important. And uh, these days, as of course as we know, we can literally now map out um, store performances, etc., which you can get a lot of on time from anyway. Um, so, are there any places you prefer, from a punting point of view at least, to go and do your work at? Uh,
1: yeah, I guess so. I'm, I'm not a. I guess something where that where a the playing field is kind of already slanted a bit uh, would would kind of be the soft courses. I'd, I'd I'd enjoy pointing at uh, the least. So you're looking at your ones with the, uh, you know, built-in draw biases. Your Chester's are, you know, that Golden Mile they have at, at Glorious Gutter, which is a, you know, a race probably the race most affected by the draw. You know, in 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 the country, they're the sort of courses I'd i be less keen on pointing. But i like I say, I, I don't have any particular hard and fast rules. I'm not I'm not mega strict on, on you know, oh this is a this is a Chester I won't point it uh in an ideal world i'll i'll will I'll find you know i, I prefer putting up because i consider the fairest but mm. those things are clearly factored in you know the draw biases etc are factored in when you when you're deciding you bet anyway just sometimes it's it makes things a little bit trickier trying to work out how much how much value to put on them in certain circumstances
0: um one thing that we we do ask people on here uh is what they believe sort of their their top skill is you know for for want of a better word i I guess i might say edge but what do you think is the one thing that you do really well when you're either analyzing races or tipping or, or or looking for clues sort of in hindsight
1: uh it's a hard one that, but I I I just think oh you know, all the time with with watching it, I, I think I think you learn to be to be a decent judge. And, and sometimes sometimes you'll be wrong. Uh but I, I trust my own judgment with with, with the visuals. Uh I, like I say I, I'm I'm quite a numbers man when it comes to comes to handicapping. And I've I've got a I've got a fairly decent uh, sort of like mental mental library of the sort of figures that I have horses going to recently, and what I think they're capable of running to. Uh, obviously, alongside all the all the treasure trove of information that that you have on time for. So it's it it's I I guess I'd say it's it's a weird one, but I guess my my edge just kind of comes from comes from my own my own kind of visual judgment, I guess, and you know, hope, hopefully that'll. That'll that'll stay there, and it, you know, without without wanting to sound, you know, blowing blowing any sort of trumpet. It's not a, you know, I'm I'm, I'm happy enough that I, that I back my hundred'sman, and I can, you know, gauge well enough when when I reckon a horse is well enough the way it's based on what it's been doing previously.
0: Thank you very much. I think it's a good place to end part two of this edition of Betting People. Thank you, Lewis, and thanks very much for watching. Hello, and welcome to part three of Bedding People with Lewis Tomlinson. We're going to talk about the great game of racing and throw a few questions at Lewis regarding the sport and its future, uh, starting with one which I've asked previous interviewees and I've also seen asked on Twitter today, but I'm going to modify it a bit. So Lewis, if I can put you in charge of British racing, what three things would you change about the sport if you could and Why?
1: Yeah, Christ, may that be a that be some world, matter uh, but no, I, I look the, the most basic one and, and the obvious one is the, the fixture list and the program needs needs starting again. Like the races we have aren't fit for purpose. Generally, there needs to be less racing, more competitive races at all level at all levels of the sport. Uh, stop giving out cheap black like, typing, you know. And I understand the reasons why, you know, the, the increased mayors programme is coming over the jumps, but some, some of the listed, graded races, they're absolutely dreadful. You know, there's a listed, uh, listed juvenile juvenile fillies event, I think one at Aintree and one at Doncaster, both, I think one in December, one in January. You know, you, you can win that and be rated 115. And, you know, I, 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 ideally, in my head, even though I understand why these, these races exist, I don't like them, uh, and uh, you know, to me being a listed winner or a graded winner uh, should have a semblance of, of, of achievement to it personally. Uh, so I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But even like even you see on the flat, so many small competitive races uh, with, with short price favourites that are of no interest uh, to punters or viewers. Uh, that you know, that's an obvious one, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, almost everyone will say that. Uh, Another thing I I think probably a little bit more of a personal one is I I kind of wish we'd abandon even further the kind of the idea of racing as a sport of kings and trying to portray it as some sort of elitist uh, endeavour, some sort of pastime just for posh boys, because I think it does more harm than good nowadays. And don't get me wrong, I know that strand of marketing Will, will be attractive to certain, to certain areas of society. But I think it turns more people away than it brings in. So mm. many people, I, I can imagine from my sort of background, have never given properly following racing a chance because, you know, certain aspects of the sport want to portray themselves as being, you know, solely in the realm of the privilege. And it's not like that. Since I've worked in racing, I've been so surprised how many dead normal people there are. Because if, if you were to only really watch it, watch it on the telly and and the adverts around, but even on course sometimes I've seen on course adverts, you know, talking about you know live like royalty and stuff like that, and you're there thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not that I'm far away from that, you know, and I I I think you know the whole you know sort of racing is everyone's sport that sort of. Campaign is what really we should be focusing on because there are so such a diverse amount of backgrounds in racing that it, it it does wind me up a bit when when we fall back on the reliance of you know the whole pageantry and royalty sort of aspect for it. Like, and I, I understand I understand why because it's where where the sport has come from, and you know it's a lot of the history of the sport, but it doesn't it doesn't reflect the sport we are now. And it, it, does, it does my head in that, you know, we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot because it just, it turns, it I think it turns people from from my sort of background away before we really give it, before they really give it a chance. And also it becomes a really, really easy stick uh, for the public to beat us with when, when things do go wrong in racing, you know. So even if you were to look at uh, when, you know, racing was the first sport back after the pandemic, how much stick did we get for that? Because it was, you know, the the public perception that was that it was just posh boys in government, but in the yeah. posh mates, have their fun. You know, yeah. when, when when they, they, they obviously there were so many sensible reasons as to why racing was the first spot back and why it was best equipped to be the first spot back. But we we couldn't but we couldn't shout louder over the people thinking it was, you know the old boys club letting each, other, letting each other get away with stuff again. And, and yeah, I, 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 re- I really would would hope that in the future we'll, we'll keep moving away from that sort of market. And I, and I think it's moving in the right direction. Uh, but, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see far less of that because I think it be, would be a healthier uh, and more diverse sport for it.
0: Um, are there any sort of good initiatives that you think currently are helping combat that sort of stereotype about the sport or...? Um do, do you think it's more of a general effort that everybody needs to make? Uh, look,
1: I, I I I think there are there are concert efforts to have, uh, I think the step on track scheme now, which is run, run by the BHA, you know, which is to try and get uh, people I think from inner city areas and ethnic minorities in, in into racing, you know, and obviously the racing media academy, things like that are all are all really, really decent. But like you say, it's it, it's a tough one when when a lot of the sport is I guess it comes from that sort of royal aspect. You know, we have Royal Ascot as our biggest oh. biggest fat meeting with, you know, royal carriages, you know, coming, coming out like something from, from fairy tales on the past. And but even kind of with that, like the way the way that sort of thing was presented. So say this year when Reach for the Moon was beaten, like the the way I kind of think ITV, ITV came uh, presented that was as if that was the worst thing that would ever that ever happened in racing. You know, mm. the Queen's horse has been beaten at Royal Ascot. Mm. The entire crowd are in tears. Half of them don't care, really. That is the Queen's horse. So many people are here for for much more than just the, the pageantry. And the, uh, I guess the, well, the pageantry, Yeah, I, I was trying to think of a different word for it, but that probably is, is the best one to describe it. You know, yes, it's an aspect of the sport. But it's not that it's not the key one. Like you know that that uh, that that Royal Ascot race where Claymore beat beat each of them, you have barely known. there were another horse in it, and I understand why, but it annoys me. I can't I can't lie. It, it annoys me.
0: No, I mean if TV coverage is too fair, it's something people have a lot of opinions on. And um, no, I mean I would say you're not the only person certainly to notice that and notice that over focus, which is a an interesting point. Um, speaking of racing and short changes you mentioned sort of small field sizes lots of bad races with uncompetitive favourites whatever um, there's been a lot of talk about the racing league and I wanted to get first of all your thoughts and opinions on it um, because for all that people um, may or may not engage with the team aspect of it the people running it might well argue you get four fields they race for good money and they get terrestrial coverage um, now six or seven nights a week. Um, are initiatives like that not a help against um, a lot of the fair that you might have seen otherwise at Lingfield this week?
1: Yeah, no, uh, I guess probably before, before I talk, talk about this, I will, I will say I did a bit of work for the Racing League last year and, and they were very good for me. And obviously I worked for ATR last year who uh, who, who covered it and I did a lot of Racing League content for them uh, so, so I spent a lot, a lot of my summer last year thinking about the racing league and working on a, on pieces for it. And uh, look, I I I I, must admit, I won't call myself a full on a full acolyte. I can appreciate what it's trying to do, whether whether I think it's having any sort of effect uh, to increase racing racing racing's uh, profile in a wider scale. Uh, Still doubtful with that so far, but like you said, I, I don't get why people have a major problem with good competitive field sizes, uh, good prize money. The ra- the racing is, is good racing. If you're just there for a, to be a, a, to watch good horse racing, which is what at the end of the day I enjoy doing more than more than anything else. Really, in terms of the you know the whole governance and stuff like that end of the day you know the reason I'm in this game is because I like watching horses running in circles and trying to pick winners you know and and that's 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 still the uh, still the motivator uh, so look I mean it's, it's far from perfect but I think we've improved it from year one to year two the idea of regional teams is an improvement whether people have you know a, a dead attached to any teams is obviously up for debate but I, I've, I've got I've got like I want Yorkshire to win it I'm not going to back off just just sit from Yorkshire, but I'd like I'd like the Yorkshire team to win it, uh, and it, it is going to be a it's it's a really tough one. It's six weeks a year with a hell of a lot of planning going into it, and it's the sort of thing that you are having to They are having to learn on the job with it, and that learning on the job, you know. It's going to have to take place over quite a long period of time because it is only for six weeks a year. So, like they said, I've seen Charlie Fellow say this week having nurseries in it uh, is a poor idea, and I can't say I disagree with that. But that's something that that might be refined again next year. Like, like I said, whether, whether the wider gimmick uh, is going to is going to be of any benefit to the sport, I'm not. I'm not fully fully sold on yet, but it's as good racing on Thursdays as you're going to get for a large, large portion of the year. And, and that, that to me is, is worthwhile. Even if, even if the other stuff surrounding it, other people can take or leave. Uh, I don't get the, the sort of virulent hatred of, of the racing league that some people do because it's, you know, if you just said as a racing fan, they are good racers. Mm. Uh,
0: very interesting indeed. Um, lots of people here, um, have I mean we can watch racing from pretty much anywhere in the world now. And we do. We can see a lot more of international racing now than we used to, which is a very good thing in my, my view. Um, lots of people think we should do things more like other countries. Um, are there any examples around the world of, of things you see other racing jurisdictions doing, and you think suddenly, well, hang on, why aren't we doing that here? It's a great idea.
1: Oh, that's that, that's that's a tough one. That uh, I guess I guess for a. For a basic point, I'd, I'd I'd love it if if racing racing was treated how it is in Japan, just from a public point of view. I, I'd you know I I wish I could go you know like go out with my mates tonight and everyone I have an opinion on the hunger food. You know, I've, everyone I know in who likes racing I know via Twitter or via via uh, work. So I'd I'd love that, but that's that's not really a a governing body sort of thing. That's just one its position in the in the this public consciousness. Uh, prize prize money is an obvious one, you know. Obviously, you know we're, we're exporting loads of our, our horses over to the east. Uh, I wish we could, we could, kind of allay that because it's, like I say it's kind of like that sort of middle middle group for listed to top handicap band that are, that are going going abroad and and they're, you know, they're, they're a sort of horse up that, that we really miss because you, you are getting. You are getting kind of really uncompetitive listed group three races and, and the top, you know, uh, and your sort of major heritage handicaps aren't, aren't uh, getting, to the, getting to the levels of competitiveness you'd have liked. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't think there's, there's anything in particular. I, there, there are things I admire about other racing jurisdictions and things, things I like most about them. But it's kind of about like the practicality of whether I look at and go, all right, we can nick that. Like, uh, I'm not sure that there are any that that I find blatantly obvious at the, at the minute. Uh one thing i say is I don't I don't like grade one handicaps personally. The Melbourne Cup is a you know, class, class, class race. The Melbourne Cup is a class, class, class race, but you know, and I love that for what it is, but I wouldn't have grade one handicaps over here. Uh, because I think the top level is a top level, you know, they don't they don't have a handicap system in you know in the golf, you know, at PJ to a golf, you know, you're not gonna get someone playing off 21. I I don't mind, you know, I like graded handicaps, but for me, I wouldn't I wouldn't want grade one handicaps introduced over here uh, on the flat or the jumps cost to me the top the top level should be I'm trying to see who is the best.
0: Um just on that note. We're speaking, gosh, a couple of days, I think, after the BHAs made their pattern changes for the Jubs. Would you be in favour of sort of that split? Um, I think grade three, I think grade three handicaps have been done away with, um, and no, listed handicaps have been done away with. You're either a premier handicap or you go to a class two. Um, Would you be in favour of that? And in general, the changes in classification because the juvenile hurdle, the finale lost its grade one status, things like that?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I guess the handicap the handicap thing is is that just not window dressing, really. You know, it's, it's still going to be the same, the same group of horses winning the race, whether you call them grade two, grade three, premier, listed or what, whatever. You know, In to me, it makes little sense over jumps anyway, why you have the grade two and grade three handicaps. because so Peter Marsh is a grade two, but the Hennessy is a grade three. The Grand National is a grade three. How does that make sense? How is a Peter Marsh a better race? I know he had a good winner this year. And the year before, to be fair, but normally it's a bit of a a bit of a slow a slow boat race around Haydock in the middle of the winter. Uh, if if you were just looking at that on paper, you'd think the Peter Marsh was a more prestigious race than than I said the Hennessy the Landrucks Trophy. Sorry, and uh, you know the Grand National win. No one saying would say that. You know, so so to me that's that's just rearranging the chairs, isn't it? It's it's not gonna not gonna actually affect anything uh, I don't mind that they've, that they've downgraded the, the juvenile hurdle to be fair I, I, I don't I don't really do you know what? I don't really like the taller from the cello being grade ones either uh, which is which you know I know other people probably probably will disagree with that but I, I don't like uh, like I say kind of cheap black type and I know I know having events so early in the season for a fairly small population of horses I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of, uh, I'm not even, sh- I'm not, uh, I'm not even sure whether, you know, whether that had even, I guess strengthened, strengthened the Irish stuff more, but even, even, I think the night France was a great too, isn't it? At the same time as the, uh, yeah. at the same time as the finale. So even the Irish juvenile hurdle, which, you know, nine times out of 10, you'd probably say for the immediate future, will be a stronger race. He's a great too. So I don't mind that, uh, yeah, if I had it my way, I'd, I'd downgrade the taller for the shallow as well, just because I don't think the population of horses, most of them have had one or two runs. You'll have, a, you know, you'll have a lot of good horses who will be players in the top novice hurdles come come the end of the season when it really matters. Uh, you know, still still too inexperienced really to turn up. Uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd do away with them and and hopefully. That 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 would I don't think that would strengthen the program, but like I said, I don't really like like cheap black type, and I I guess I had, like I say, and that would probably lead a bit of a knock on effect that I wouldn't mind even downgrading you know some of the really bad grade two novice novice hurdles and chases mm-hmm. early in the season that that with the free runner won one at Sandown this year or uh, uh, the year before wasn't there a lossy mouth for it this year but the year before that was only a, a, a free run event I think Stargate won it. Uh, you know
0: no need for that to be a graded race um, and last but never least to end this um, dare I say it, we might be two to the younger people um, who, who are interested in racing how do you think racing uh, I mean first of all do you think racing is doing a good job of appealing to younger race goers and, and secondly mm-hmm. if it isn't what would you change um, to make sure that wasn't the case
1: uh yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I did a my master's dissertation was on a attitudes around racing uh between people aged 18 to 25. So hopefully I, I might be able to talk a bit of sense on this because I spent far too, far too long uh having to look at stuff like that for the last year and a half. Uh I think I think as a as a product as a day out, as a social product was sound. Uh loads loads of people might love going racing for the uh, for the social aspects, to drink, to dress up, uh, to post photos on Instagram, and and to bet. To be fair, you know it's that that's still that's still a major draw to punt. Whether people really pay attention to what's going on, on the track that much is up for is up for debate. But I f- I think it would be noticed if there were only four races on a card. To be fair, so. I, I, I think we do a good job of of serving the product to the casual viewer. Uh, I think the biggest issue, you know, in, in kind of keeping the sport healthy for people, people our sort of age is making sure we're on the front foot with welfare issues and stuff like that. Because again, coming from, coming from a background that I don't really talk to, to racing people outside of, outside of racing, and you do get quite a lot of negative sentiment. I think in my my dissertation, 20, 25% of people uh, between 18 and 25 found that uh, or had the view that racing was was cruel. You know, which, which is one in four is, is pretty worrying. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that this is, these people hold this view particularly strongly, right? I'm not, this is where I think upraising kind of gets it wrong somehow that people who, who have this view are all you know uh, animal rights you know diehards in my experience are not my own my own brother said to me uh, after Lincoln we went to Lincoln and he came back and he said to me "Oh, if it wasn't for you I'd think racism would cruel and he's you know he's far from a you know a screaming animal rights person a pretty normal normal northern lad uh, and that, that kind of struck me we, go, we, are, we are quite bad at it because the, the, the opposite side is have the easier sell right because it's easy for them to say well horses are dying and this is bad what we need to be able to do as racing people racing fans to be able to contextualise this I'm confident pretty much nine, nine people out of ten who have a negative view on racing I could allay those sort of fears with a ten minute conversation talking about you know, why why a broken leg is fatal for a racehorse often. It's not just off oh, yeah. because he can't run fast anymore. You know, because that's that's still a very common, commonly held perception. Absolutely. You know, talking to people. And that that isn't going to change unless they know. So we need to be on the foot foot and well equipped uh, even though it's you know the most mean part of the sport and it's not something we like to dwell on. We we need to be there talking about why, you know, why. Can be used as a safety tool and why it's, uh, you know, how how well advanced it is now. Why, unfortunately, sometimes fatal injuries occur and why they're pretty much irreparable uh, for a lot of horses. And that is not all, all you know, based around financial greed. Uh, because a lot, of, a lot, a lot of the a lot of the reasons why people hold negative negative views on racing is because they're ignorant towards it and they've not they've not been exposed to it. So if, if we're on the front foot then when, when we're able to sort of challenge and, and talk them around, you know, they are all, you know, in, in, the, in the Ted Horsall, Ted they're not all screaming people who are, who are wanting, wanting to watch Pippa Pig. These are people who might actually find, their, find the sport a bit interesting but just don't understand why the more the less palatal parts of the sport have to, have to take place. Uh, and I think kind of treating, treating these people as, as the complete enemy isn't, isn't helpful because like i said I think a lot of them uh, are fairly are fairly reasonable and, and open to to conversation when when they speak to someone who's actually informed uh, so hopefully I, I, hopefully that that's something that that the wider sport will be able to get get on the front foot with and not not being overly reactionary to these uh, to these people who don't don't really engage with the sport and don't know much about it and I think in general would be quite easily top around.
0: I agree with an, a huge amount of that. And I think it's just really, really important. The sport um, takes that view and uh, gets on the front foot also about the defend record and puts the right stuff in the right place because some of the information we've been talking about, it is freely available on the BHA and Great British Racing. So no, we should lead um, front foot forward with that. Um, and I think it's a great place to end the, uh, this edition of Betty people, um, thank you so much for your time, Lewis.
1: No, thanks for having us on, Will.
0: No worries. Uh, as you can see, it's been a very, very hot one, so apologies that I don't come across as polished as usual. Hopefully it was of use to you, and I'll be back with in another interview for you very soon. Thanks for watching.